0: The mix picks on Rad TV from RadRadio.com. I'm Rob uh, and Steve Mickelson from Mix Picks. Two Ks in Mix, Two Ks in Picks is joining me from uh, Las Vegas as always. Hey there, Steve. How you doing, man?
1: Doing wonderful. How's everything with you?
0: Good. And I actually I want to start. We're going to do kind of kind of bounce around uh, because I want to start with something we talked about earlier this week. We were texting about it, uh, and you had brought it up. And, and right away, because you know you've been in the in the sports betting world forever, you. You seemed like you turned your head sideways and went, wait a minute. Um, and we've now gotten an explanation, uh, but we'll see what you think of it. Uh, the Los Angeles Rams were seven to seven and a half point underdogs to the Niners on the weekend. They were trailing the Niners by 10 points with four seconds to play. And Los Angeles Rams coach Sean McVay ordered a 38-yard field goal, which they made. And so they finished the game with a 30-23 to 23 loss on Sunday seven points and with the focus on gambling and how it affects the integrity of the game, you right away were kind of like, well, why? And I couldn't, I I could not figure out why, why kick the field goal other than there's something going on with gambling McVay was asked about it on Monday of this week. He said that he was not aware of the gambling line and how the field goal affected the pocketbook of the betters because he just didn't know until he was told after the game, So he was asked, then why would you kick a meaningless field goal? And according to McVeigh, he said, quote, we were going to try to kick a field goal to then be able to kick an onside kick and try to give ourselves a real opportunity to win the game, end quote. Do you buy that?
1: No. And and the reason I don't buy that, and and I can give him, look, I'm busy, we're preparing for the game, so I really don't know the points for it. I I can give him all of that. But, But the part I don't get is, uh, he, we're going to go for the field goal. Well, kick it a little earlier because I think they were in field goal range. Granted, it might have been like a 53, 54-yard field goal somewhere in there, you know, and then go for the onside kick. But once the clock got down and you spiked the ball and you looked, it was four seconds on the clock, if I remember correctly. You can't kick the field goal And as the field goal goes through, still have time on the clock. Even if you have like two seconds, by the time you do an onside kick and recover it, the clock's going to expire. So at no time did you ever have an opportunity to then throw a Hail Mary into the end zone in an attempt to tie the game. So to kick the field goal, knowing that that was the last play, regardless to me, didn't make sense because you were never going to get another, you know, offensive possession, regardless of how it played out. So why not just throw it into the end zone?
0: It, so it, yeah, it, it, I mean, I can't, I can't make it make sense with the math and the and the and the timing of it. And and obviously mcVeigh's not going to say anything different. And I'm not accusing McVeigh specifically, but it still, it just does not make any sense.
1: And then he also said in that interview, if I'm correct, that. He didn't want to risk Matthew Stafford throwing a Hail Mary on his possibility of getting hurt on the play and taking a big hit as somebody throws him. And he said it allowed the team to have, you know, wanted to give the special teams unit an added play. Do you think that one play makes their special teams unit better today than it was a week ago because they? kicked that one time. It wasn't a game winning field goal, so it wasn't like tons of pressure. Here it is. We go to the Super Bowl if we make this or we win the Super Bowl if we make it. It was a meaningless field goal. Do you think that really made their special teams better? And is Matthew Stafford really happy that he didn't have to take one more snap because it could have ended his career.
0: And the, uh, the the Niners, they they didn't care. They're like, we're up by 10 and you're going to kick a, And it was easy kick, 38 yards. Um, I, I did find it a little interesting too. And, and I don't know all the inner workings. Uh, we know that gambling and, and sports betting, it's a big, big part of everything now. And it's getting bigger by the day. And the NFL has kind of embraced it, which I think they have to. But boy, do they have to be careful about all of this. Uh, the the McVeigh did admit Monday that the vice president of the Rams uh, of communications, Rams vice president of communications, Artis Twyman, told McVeigh immediately after the game about the point spread issue. So I don't know what the vice president of communications does other than handling PR and all that. Maybe that's why he was so aware of it. But the very first thing the VP of communications does is run downstairs to tell McVeigh, hey, man, you just... And he said uh, that that he told McVeigh that there's a lot of people in Vegas that are pissed off and, and 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 is it does that seem weird to you or is that just me not being as involved as I should with how important this is because that that just seems like it's not the most important thing at that moment but maybe it is you
1: know the thing is is now that sports gambling has gone nationwide for the most part uh, it, it is such under such scrutiny and everything they do And all of us with everything in our lives love to go to the conspiracy theories and all of that other stuff. Hey, look, the Rams knew they wanted to cover the point spread. That was, you know, they didn't win the game, but at least they can say, look, we covered, Hey, we've covered now two games in a row. Maybe we can run our streak up to six. I really don't think coaches in the NFL coach like that, but in today's day and age, I mean, you as a fan sitting and watching it and you watch the Vikings throw and score late in that game with like six seconds to now push as opposed to lose. You watch the Rams kick the field goal, which went from losing to covering. You just watched time and time again, a lot more now that people see that how, even though as a fan, you used to watch the game and say, oh, the game's over. It's not going to happen. And this gets into that whole reason why it's the game's far more interesting when you have a vested interest, Mm -hmm. because the game might be over as far as you're looking at it, watching it on the screen, but it's not over when it comes to the point spread. And those are the things. And when it goes against you, it's always a conspiracy theory. Hey, they look, they knew they fixed it but understand you had the opportunity to bet either side of the game. So it's not like anybody forced you to bet the 49. You could have had the Rams and guess what? You're happy. Hey, look, I got seven and a half. I covered never should have, but I covered. So that was a wonderful play.
0: So, and now that you talk it through for me, now it does make sense because of everything you said and the world that we live in, where people can communicate with the entire world immediately, because there was even speculation during the game when they made the kick. Uh, I, I forget, it was was it uh, Sanchez? Mark Sanchez, I think, was was calling the game. And he made a comment uh, that we all knew what he meant. And, and by the time the communications director gets down to see Coach McVay, he's looked at Twitter. He's seen all the comments. He's seen the, everyone's head exploding. But to your point, you're right. So imagine if you're a 49er fan and you picked the Niners to cover – you're just you're exuberant. Your team's starting out 2-0, and you've got the bet. And oh my God, what are they doing? But you could also be a 49er fan who wants the Niners to win, but didn't think they'd cover. And you're you're if you if you're on that side, you're exuberant because now you're gonna you're gonna win the bet. And and so this is that vested interest thing that you're so right, but it does make us so Angry when it doesn't go our way and there isn't an explanation that makes sense. And that's still the problem I have with, with Sean McVeigh's answer is I, I say something different or nothing. The communications director should have helped you out. You had a whole day to think about it. Because that's one more weird thing. I don't want I don't want to spend all the all this show on this, but I mean this is what you do. How is it, Steve, with everything you just covered about sports betting, its prevalence, it's important to all of us? How is it that no one asked Sean McVeigh in the press conference after the game? Why'd you make that kick? But it was the leading story on every ESPN show all day on Monday. How how does that jive up?
1: I think there's still a little bit of taboo with gambling and television and what exactly you can say, can ask. I know there's shows now on gambling everywhere. That's what we're talking about in addition to being a sports show here but I still think there's a little bit of taboo and I want to bring up a game and you probably remember this. I'm sure you do being a 49er Sam to me, the game that still stands out to this day, several years ago, I want to say it was a Monday night game because it was on national TV. John Harbaugh on the 49ers. I believe they were up four, kicked the field goal and made the field goal. There was a flag on the play and a, The 49ers accepted the penalty, took the points off the board. And I want to say the 49ers were a five and a half point favorite in that game. Harbaugh took the points off the board, took the next snap, knelt down, ran the clock out. So instead of the 49ers covering with the field goal and no one takes points off the board, he took it off. And what he said was that. On the kickoff, because it was really one more play. He didn't want to risk any injuries to the team, to the special teams. He could control the narrative with the quarterback taking a knee. So he wasn't putting any players in jeopardy in any way by taking the knee. And that's the reason he took the points off the board in order to allow his team to not be injured on the next play. And, and that was a huge game. That was a national game. Mm-hmm. And the 49, and again, you made the field goal great i'm covering first time all game i've been covering what do you mean you're taking the points off the board so that to me is still the game that stands out the most in my memory of wow how this affected the point spread and again game was over didn't yeah. matter anything except for if you had a ticket on the game
0: i rem- and i do remember that game and and i do remember that that explanation made no damn sense either mm-hmm. and and it just the story just kind of goes away uh, for other than the people that, that are are crying in their, in their losses. Um, well, we're going to see a lot more of this, I think. We're going to stay in Southern California, but we're going to switch sports entirely, uh, go over to baseball real quick, because uh, Los Angeles Angels star uh, Shohei Ohtani did have his elbow surgery uh, yesterday, was so Tuesday, uh, of this week. Uh, and his doctor said he expects the uh, two-way star to be available as a hitter on opening day next season, so April of 2024, And returned to the mound as a pitcher in 2025. So, a couple questions, Steve. Uh, Obviously, Otani is eligible for free agency. That's been a big story all year. Before the elbow injury, there was speculation he might get this record half billion dollar Mm -hmm. contract. Um, Question number one I I mean, we already, there's no way he's getting that. So, what what is he valued at now, especially now that you got to wait for an entire season to have him pitch again? And, where does he land? Because every, at the middle of the season, people thought, oh, the Angels, they're they are loading up. They're showing Otani that they love him and they're going to keep him. And then they fire sold to end their season. And now I, know, I think the smart money on, is on he ain't going to be an Angel. So where do you see all that playing out?
1: I think this is a really fascinating story, and you can break it into so many different components. I, I think the injury cost him dearly. I have a hard time seeing him getting – you know, really anything more, and I thought he'd get five hundred million, but I just don't see him really getting more than three hundred million. And I'm not sure he fully pulls that in a long term contract for the sake of he's a DH this next year. Okay, well, are you really paying more money for you know Otani to be a DH than Mookie Betts or Mike Trout or any of players like that? You may or you may not, but You know, he had Tommy John surgery in 2018. This is a second elbow injury in the last five years. He may never recover from this to be an effective pitcher like he used to be. We all like to think that, oh, you had an injury. Yeah, I broke my leg. It healed up. I'm back to normal. But elbows, knees, you know, these type of things, shoulders, you never know if they're going to get back to where they were prior And are you really going to offer him a 10-year, $50 million-a-year contract if he's not able to return to that level as a pitcher? Probably not. So I don't think I see any team out there offering the kind of money that was being thrown around there. So then if he's not going to get that top dollar, does he come back and sign for a two-year contract to prove he can pitch again and then have a top contract out there in the future, his agent's not going to allow him to do that because agents also earn commission off these contracts, and he would rather earn commission on a $400 million contract or a $300 million contract than, say, an $80 million contract because that's money in his pocket. And if Otani does sign the short term, and is not able to return as a pitcher, he becomes a salaried like a JD Martinez or one of the top DHs. So now you're talking in the 20, $25 million range, which obviously is nowhere. So to me, there's so many parts to this. I, as a GM would not sign him to anything long-term because to me, his value is the two way player. And of the two, I think I'd rather have him as a pitcher than a hitter because he is a dominating pitcher and that's more difficult to come by. I can come up with a hitter who can be pretty decent. So to me, the, the, you know, the cherry on top of the Sunday for me is his pitching. So that's what I want to pay for. And that's the part that we don't know if he can ever do it again.
0: Well, you know, and we're seeing this play out across all sports and it, sh- it goes back to how we started with, whether it's the gambling or, or our obsession as a nation with sports, just as sports or through sports betting. There are so many just right now glaring um, examples of all of this money that teams have thrown at what we now can look at and go, "Uh uh-oh, this might be a really risky proposition. Joe Burrow, who we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, of of the Bengals just signed his huge deal. And now we're wondering, is he even going to play Monday and what's his future look like? The Chargers, who are just miserable so far this season. I was hearing uh, yesterday that if you combine like their four – top defensive players they're, they're like in it's an extraordinary amount of hundreds of millions of dollars or something it's just it's just outlandish and and but you know somebody will somebody will give otani not not i don't i don't think 300 million i don't know man but but i mean he, somebody's gonna give him don't you think really in the end
1: but we were talking four to five hundred he was going to become the highest paid player in baseball so really you got to look at it and I think Mike Trout was around $450 million. So you're talking $500 million yeah. for a player that's no longer a pitcher next year. It's his second elbow surgery in five
0: years. And there's no guarantee I, he's going to be a great hitter because he's still coming off this surgery.
1: Right. So I think it would be a huge gamble for a team to give $300 million. But if you're Otani, hey, look, this injury cost me 200 million. Are you really going to accept that? Or are you going to sit there and say, look, I'm going to be a hundred percent, you know, healthy, which we don't know. Mm -hmm. And if you're a GM, are you writing that check? I mean, we've seen so many bad contracts. Look at Deshaun Watson. That's not even an injury. And Cleveland would love to get out of that contract because he has not been productive since he's come back. Kyler Murray, the Cardinals would hand him over for free. You don't even have to give us anything. Just take him in the contract and no one's going to do that. So if you're the GM, I know you're not the owner and the owner has got to sign off on it. But if you're the owner, are you willing to throw what could be close to a half a billion dollars in the trash on a gamble?
0: Uh, back to gambling, we're going to jump back to uh, the, uh, the questionable field goal that the Rams made as they were down by 10 to the Niners, uh, but the point spread was 7-7.5. Seven to seven and a half. Brad wrote in, RAD at radradio.com. He said, wait, why is it only a meaningless field goal? It would have also been a meaningless touchdown if they would have thrown and completed it to the end zone. They were down by 10. Any score would not have achieved even a tie, let alone a win, but a field goal has a higher chance of success than a touchdown.
1: All true comments, but we've watched how many games and the players throw the Hail Mary in there versus, you know, hey, I'm down by 24. Am I going to kick a field goal to cut it to 21? We still throw the Hail Mary because the goal is ultimately to score touchdowns. You know, but he makes a good point. But, you know, when you're sitting there looking, the point spread wasn't involved in this. I don't think anybody really care. Okay. Hey, look, you know. We're giving our kicker an opportunity here. Last play of the game. Maybe it's a little bit of pressure on it. Let's see what happens. But the fact that it involved the point spread, that's the part that everybody starts questioning because, again, I find it hard to believe the players, the coaches, and all that did not know what the point spread was in today's day and age. used to only be in the papers, but you didn't talk about other games. You didn't. It It is everywhere now. I find it difficult to believe they weren't aware of it.
0: And I, I, it just, again, I think the, you're absolutely right. If there was, if the point spread's not an issue, this isn't even a topic anywhere. Um, but also if the explanation would have made more sense, I mean, even Brad's email is a little more sensical than what coach McVay mm-hmm. said. However, if that was the mindset, you'd back up to what you were talking about a few minutes ago with the timing, then you would have started throwing Hail Marys before the play that you ran that got it down to four seconds. You would have went, wait a minute. Hail Mary is going to take this long. Then we still need to. We got a kick, and then we got to oh, – That's the whole point of the coaching is they would have figured out something to do sooner to give them time to legitimately uh, take another shot at, at winning the game. All right, let's go, let's jump to. Uh, we got an email here as well from Ray. Uh, as we jump to another sport, he says, "I just want to shout out Coach Prime for renewing, renewing my love for the sport. I was down on the NFL due to the fact I'm a Raiders fan." Mm. And I just really have not been interested in the game overall. But now Deion Sanders has me rooting for Colorado. I wasn't a fan of any college team. And now I can't wait to hear Rob and Steve talk about Sanders and those Buffaloes. We touched on this a little bit uh, on the last uh, podcast, Steve, Uh, the popularity of the Colorado program. You had mentioned the ratings two weeks ago, Colorado's double overtime victory against Colorado State, which ended in the early hours of Sunday in most of the country. Drew 9.5 million viewers to make it the most watched late-night college football game ever on ESPN. Uh, Coach Sanders didn't secure the victory until 2.30 a.m. on the East Coast. It was ESPN's fifth most watched regular season game ever on the network for any time slot. So you take out the qualifier of it being the late-night game, it's still the fifth most watched ever with only one ranked team involved. It was also the most uh, streamed regular season college football game of all time for ESPN. Dion's everywhere. He was on 60 minutes this weekend. We talked about his the merchandise. Colorado merchandise sales are up 820%, and it's nationwide. But now it gets real because now, okay, they, they got to go to Oregon, and I think Oregon's 10th. Yep, they play Oregon uh this saturday how real are they we're gonna have to keep asking
1: it's a great story it is. everyone everywhere is has an interest in it the, the stat of everything you gave me that sticks out to me is their merchandise is only up 820 <laughs> percent. i would have thought it had been like eight thousand <laughs> percent from what it's been in the past because you know i how often do you see Colorado Buffalo's merchandise anywhere, people walking around with it, but it is everywhere. They cannot produce it fast enough for people. So it, it's a great story. And it was Colorado, Colorado state. I, I mean, neither team really means anything. When you're sitting here telling me more watch than Alabama, Georgia, more watch than Ohio state, Michigan, more watch than USC, Notre Dame. I mean, just some of these great games that we've seen, It's Colorado, Colorado State, which just shows how interested everyone is. But to your question on where is Colorado at, and believe me, I'd love to see this story right out as far as we can. But to give you an idea, Colorado's at Oregon. They're both ranked. Oregon's a 21-point favorite in this game. I mean, no one's giving Colorado a chance to win at all in this game. They're 21 you know, point dog in it. I'm actually hoping they win because what I'm looking for, is next week. Colorado is at home against USC. Yeah. Oof. Fox sports has already moved this to their nine o'clock time slot because it's their national game. It's their big game. USC, Colorado, West Coast teams have to kick off at 9 a.m. <laughs> and if they are both undefeated, it could be the biggest viewed game like ever if you're telling me colorado colorado (laughs) state at seven o'clock time frame was the fifth best this one could be like one of the highest viewed games ever and and to to hit on the game one of the things that uh you know we're going to be a little bit disappointed in is colorado has a wide receiver uh cornerback travis hunter two-way player He's out for the next couple of weeks due to a late hit on him in that last game. Rob, I, I don't know if you watched it. I did, but it, but it did raise a question that I had immediately when it happened and you know how we've hit all the targeting and everything going on it. And I know I'm going down a rabbit hole a little bit here, but we watched the targeting and the player gets charged with targeting. Many times we bitch about it. Look, the player went into a slide he'd already started going to make his tackle he hit some in the helmet whatever hey look targeting he's out for the rest of that game if it happens in the second half he he's out for the first half of the following game this hit to me was more blatant than pretty much all of the targeting hits we've ever seen player draws the penalty doesn't get ejected now I know we're looking at player safety and I know, Hey, that's not the way the rules. Were, and I get all of that. But if you watched a lot of college football and watched the targeting, 90% of them are really by accident. There, there are those that the player just flat out launches, you know, points his helmet down and goes and gets them. But this was as dirty of a play as you could get. It was that trying to set. We're going to set that we're not going to be intimidated and went with that. How do you not throw that out? I, and, and
0: I don't know. I, I know that I was I was I'm biased on this because I'm with uh, Ray or whoever wrote in. And, and, and to your point about the merchandise, uh, I, I've got a I've got a, a coach prime sweatshirt that's back ordered. Because I, I I'm just so into this story, I just immediately ordered it, but I won't get it until like the middle of October. But so I am really wrapped up in this story with Dion and and everything going on with his his kids uh, and the team and, and and such. So I am a little biased, but I thought as I was watching that whole game that Colorado State played dirty whenever they could, and mm-hmm. and I thought it came from what I presume is this this thing that started during the week with the Colorado state coach mouthing off and then Dion biting back and on and on and on it went and Colorado state seemed to be the ones that said, we're more interested in being dirty than we are. I mean, granted, it went double overtime, but it seemed like their mission was really show these guys really intimidate them as best you can and and do whatever you have to, including that hit.
1: And I agree. I just, to me, it was uncalled for, You, you know, and it's not just because he's out for a couple of weeks. T- to me, it was just really blatant. Even if he had popped up after that, it's that, look, th- this just isn't right. And it, You know, I'm sorry, going back to the olden days, you know, Jim McMahon's in the prime of his career playing a Monday night game against the Green Bay mm-hmm. Packers. I believe his name was Charles Martin lineman, like pretty much World Wrestling Federation picked him up, body slammed him, knocked McMahon out and pretty much ended his career. McMahon was good after that, but he was not in that elite quarterback and and not that I'm saying Jim McMahon was a great quarterback, but Jim McMahon was really developing into one of the top quarterbacks in the league at that time. He was never the same after that. And you have this guy two-way star. I mean, he's got great hands. He's playing corner. He's playing wide receiver. And you do this and and I really hope it doesn't affect him long term, but it's like a dirty play that Injures the player on top of it. Just, I have a hard time with it because this is their livelihood. I know they're not getting paid, but you can't tell me that Travis Hunter doesn't have expectations to play at the next level. And I'd hate for something, you know, let's say he would have gotten more seriously injured and then couldn't play at the next level. It just, I, I had a really hard time with that hit and watching
0: it uh we got an email uh, on this from alan he just wrote in and said hey guys did you see the press conference on deon sanders about the henry blackburn hit i thought he was an absolute pro great words i didn't see exactly what Dion said did you steve
1: i did not i know i saw like the headline that that uh because the players getting death threats and all that and that's yeah. taking it way too far uh, again i'm very critical of it i personally felt he should have been kicked out of the game and you know let's keep going from there uh but Dion's like look no it from my understanding it's part of the game you know don't go hate on the guy don't be sending him death threats and you know it's an unfortunate thing that happened
0: and dion dion is a he is a master uh, at using his words and knowing when to scale back and i thought that was a really a, a really nice good moment he said what he should have said about the death threats but then you also go to the bloviating in that 60 minutes interview this weekend he was asked who the best coach in college football is, and he basically said himself. And then when the when the interviewer pushed back, Dion said, "What do you think I'm going to say? You think I'm going to say that there's a better coach in college football today?" And to me, that's Dion doing the opposite. That's the bluster. That's the ego. And and the we're going to act like we're the best team, not just in, on the field, but in the country. And I think the kids are still feeding off that. But is it enough for them at Oregon? Do you think?
1: I don't think they have quite the talent to go into Oregon and win the game. Again, I'd love to see it happen because I love this story and I'd like to see this go on as long as possible. But Dion, this is who Dion is. You, you don't get the nickname of prime time, you know, by not having that. And a friend of mine told me a long time ago, you know, it's not bragging if you can back it up. And Dion has backed up everything – that he has said throughout his career. I mean, the hall of fame college player, he's a hall of fame NFL player. He's arguably, and I don't even think it's arguably, he is the best player to play in his position in the NFL in history. He was the best cornerback ever. If you're doing those things, how are you really staying humble? I I mean, seriously, (laughs) when you are that good and that much better, to be, oh yeah, I appreciate every opportunity I get, and you know I just try to go and do the best I can. I'm sorry, some kind of ego is going to come
0: out of that. So the uh, speaking of the talent that Colorado does have, uh, the the hot take overreaction. I mean, come on, there's been two, what three games this season? Is that uh, his kid, Shadur Sanders? Uh, he's got he's got two of them that play, and the third one that's part of the media uh, thing, this this father son story that's going on. Uh, is is Shadur Sanders a first round pick? in the NFL next season if he hits the draft. And and I've heard a lot of people, a lot of analysts, a lot of idiots, a lot of geniuses say they're already saying he's a first-round pick. That seems premature to I mean, the kid looks amazing, but have we really seen him tested?
1: Uh, he looks really good. He throws a, <laughs> a, a nice pass. He's on stride. He he can run. He can roll out. He seems to really pick the right receiver every time. Doesn't make mistakes. I didn't think he was going to be able to compete at this level this quickly. You figure he is Deion's kid. You know, he's got to have some talent here, but he looks good. I'm not even looking at him as Deion's kid. I'm just sitting here watching him play as a quarterback. And it's still young, but I think he is a first-round draft pick I'd be shocked if he didn't go in the first. He'd really have to, you know, go upside down here. You know, the guy's completing 78% of his passes. He's thrown for over 400 yards a game, 10 touchdowns, only one interception, which was a bad read in that last game against Colorado State. He's doing everything, and he looks fluid doing it. It's not, you know, hey, Johnny Manziel, yes, I can throw a lot of touchdowns, but everybody's wide open, and I just have a really talented team keep in mind this Colorado team is a 21 point underdog so they don't have the talent they don't have the talent of Nebraska and yet they went out and pretty much handled Nebraska in that second half of that game and and that gets into coaching but he also has some players that are really talented and he's got great coaching so I do believe That his son's going to be a first round draft pick in the NFL.
0: So the only, and I don't know how much this matters because this goes back to Dion and his words and his bloviating, his positioning and all that. The only thing that might throw a wrinkle in this is, and maybe this is just again what he has to say or is supposed to say this morning, uh, Dion came out and said that his other son, Shiloh, had made the comment, Shadur, you're going to be in the NFL next year. And that Dion's response was, No, you ain't. Quote, You all ain't going nowhere. Uh, Dion told his sons when Shiloh talked about going pro next year while attending the Broncos games with his two sons. That was, that's, where, that's where this happened because Dion told the story on a podcast, and he basically told both his sons, we're here to finish a job, and you guys aren't leaving. Uh, so he, he goes out of his way to tell this story. That could just be keeping up the hype in Colorado. Obviously, he can't literally keep his kid from going to the NFL, although they do seem to have a really tight bond connection. And usually, Steve, the smart money is – you go when the NFL wants you because that's where the payday is.
1: Yes. I I agree with that and standard, you know, conversation. I think there's the underlying part of this. I, I really think Dion's dream is to be an NFL head coach with his son as the quarterback.
0: I by the way, I mean I, we're I, taking credit for being the first ones to, to to say that nationally out loud. He might have been thinking it. But, but nobody had talked about it as quickly as we did, and I would love to see that story.
1: And that's what I think about. Hey, look, if Dean's not going to get an NFL head coaching job, guess what? You're coming back. You're going to try to win the Heisman. You'll be amongst one of the favorites, and hopefully we can get there because we're going to be able to recruit into this. And, and I got a part on that, so I'm hold on to this for me as I finish this part with, and, and I think it's going to turn out, to if Dion has a shot to go coach the Chicago Bears, Oof. the San Diego Chargers, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And they both have quarterbacks, but, you know, he gets an opportunity to go coach, uh, you know, Tennessee Titans. And they have a top 10 draft pick, and they think his kid, oh, he might be middle to late first round pick. And Deion can get there and say, look, I'm going to take my my son at eight. Dion's jumping ship, and Dion is doing whatever he can, and he's leaving Colorado. But he needs Colorado. He can't be talking about bailing on him because he wants that next job, and and that's the part of Dion that we're not seeing publicly because he can't come out and say that. But Dion's also using his kid to move to that next level.
0: Well, and he he was because it was through a different prism, he basically said that's exactly how he's built in that 60 Minutes interview when they were comparing—what um, what was it? Was it Jackson State he was at b- the before? Uh, I forget the name.
1: Uh, yeah, it was either Jackson State or Jacksonville, but I believe it was Jackson State.
0: And, and he and they were kind of pushing him like, you bailed on him. And, and Dion's like, no, I didn't. I took the next step. I went where God was taking me. I, I did what I was supposed to do because that's what life's about. Or so I'm paraphrasing, but he was all in on defending that move, but it would be the exact same thing if your scenario played out and he would do the same thing. You're absolutely right.
1: Uh, absolutely. And, and to me, that's Dion's endgame. Now the part in one of the interviews that I found fascinating and no one talks about this, but we see it with the transfer portal. Dion's the first head coach to sit and say, look, we don't even, <laughs> we don't even recruit high school kids anymore. It is all about recruiting the D1 players who can play to get the talent and get up because you know what their strengths are. You know what their weaknesses are. You know how they can help your program. So we aren't even looking at high school kids. We are looking solely at the players who are already playing and what they're doing. And Dion's persona and what he's done with Colorado, you're not going to tell me that he's not going to have, at the end of the year, if he stays and his son stay, that he's not going to have like a huge transfer of talent that comes to Colorado that is going to take that next step and say, look, we're a 21-point dog here, but by next year, we really will be a top-10 team in the nation, and we have a shot to win the national championship. Because if you're playing on Tennessee, Florida, or these teams that, yeah, they're supposed to be really good, but we're not quite there, and Dion comes calling and says, look, we can make you a star.
0: Are you not considering it? This is the thing. Dion has given the template to all yeah. of college football now. And he's also, he's changed because obviously recruiting has always been the real job of, of college coaches. And it's always come down to personality. Are you Coach K? Are you Nick Saban? But these things are also based on your results now it can almost be entirely on your name your presence your personality at least initially and i wonder if this is going to change the entire hiring process to where a lot of these colleges go why don't we who who is the other flashy guy who's the next dion now we know his system who's the other dion that could be doing this for us
1: absolutely and if you're not the ncaa aren't you trying to figure this out because (laughs) you created this mess you're the ones who created the nil You know, I can get paid to play with the advertising. You're the one allowing team players to transfer without sitting out a year. You're making it really easy to go. You created this. Dion's taking advantage of everything you've put in place, but now he's also made it public. The roadmap he has, which I think is genius. Uh, I, the, The the fact that he has gone to this, I was surprised he came out and said it like he did. (laughs) But again, that's also Dion. Dion doesn't hold back. He just, this is what it is. And that's part of that whole persona that he has and why he is prime time. And as good as he is, because he says it and he backs it up. Think of how many people you hear say things and they can't back it up. Dion has backed it up at every level. And and it's amazing.
0: And one, one more mess potentially in the college football arena. I mean first of all the fact that we've spent almost half an hour already mainly on Dion or and college football because of Dion uh, is a testament to everything we've been been talking about here but one more one more quick hit on on college football how much of a mess is Alabama in uh, they've fallen to 13th in the AP poll the USA today they do their own one to 133 ranking they're out of the top 25. Uh, to whatever level that matters, um, but is this is this a is this a speed bump for the aforementioned Coach Saban, or are they in a, a free fall? They real problems? Where do you put Alabama in this short person part part of the season so far?
1: I I think this falls into that whole part of what we've been discussing. You know, Saban is still on that recruiting the top high school talent, etc., and bringing them over. And other teams have adjusted into this transfer portal and everything else. I think it's caught up with Saban a little bit and he's going to have to figure it out and adjust from there. But you know, Alabama, they're going back to Jalen Milrow at quarterback. Again, they're not a high powered offense. They, they have to win by defense. Their defense has been a little bit questionable at times already this year. It, it's, it's an adjustment period for Alabama. And, and you can see it because George is getting the top NFL talent. Now it used to always be Alabama but we're watching it with Georgia. Something changed that the players are now, you know, and Georgia's winning. But something changed to where those players were going to Georgia as opposed to Alabama that where they always went to Alabama. So you got to wonder with Saban, you got to change a little bit of what we do. Sometimes we get caught in the rut. This is the way it's done. And we just don't adjust to how the the climate has changed quick enough. And I think you're seeing it with Alabama.
0: We're going to jump over to the NFL and use this email that just came in, uh, RAD at radradio.com from Jason. He says, Steve reminded me when he mentioned Jim McMahon, the game when Tony Saragusa sacked and threw down Rich Gannon and ended the Raider fans' hopes. There's another one that we can all remember.
1: (sighs) Yeah, and I'm glad they don't have, you know, I mean, we don't see it that often, but. You know, to me, you, you should it, – it's tough, but I still think you got to have something on the books of, look, you're getting disciplinary action, you're getting suspended, you're getting kicked out of the game, and, and it's just not tolerated. You, you know, hits on Joe Theismann and ended his career. Look, those kind of plays happened. We saw the Nick Chubb injury. You know, those things happen. That's part of the game. But when a player – Pretty much is intentionally trying to injure another player. To to me, there's no room in the game for that in any way.
0: No, and, and now more than ever, going back to where we started and what this show's foundation is, with gambling so prevalent that the the like the bounty gate story with the ram with the the Saints rather would be so much of a bigger story now, and especially if you could make a connection to any sort of of, of gambling. Um, but you mentioned the the Nick Chubb injury, uh, which yeah, wasn't dirty at all. Uh, the Cleveland Browns four-time Pro Bowl running back sustained a season-ending knee injury, a second quarter of Monday night's loss to the Steelers. And you knew it was bad the minute Joe Buck and uh, Troy Aikman said, oh, yeah, we're not going to show you that. Um, it's hard to find the replay, but you, if you're really good at it, you can. It's gruesome. I don't know if you've seen it, you know, p- played back, Steve, but it mean, hey, hey, his knee's going the wrong way. And you brought up Otani, who's had his second surgery, Uh, For for the Tommy John surgery, Chubb had a gruesome injury to the same left knee when he was a sophomore at the University of Georgia, dislocated it, three torn ligaments, cartilage damage. (sighs) Running backs have a short life anyways in the NFL. This guy's out for the year. He was one of, if not the best running backs. I know the Browns aren't really consequential this year, but God, is he going to come back and is he ever going to be the same? You got to try to run again on a twice repaired knee.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure he's ever going to be the same because then at this point, age starts playing a factor. The amount of carries you've had, it was a, it was, a, you know, it was bad in college, but he was able to rehab, get back. He was still young enough to recover. We all know the older we get, the slower we recover from these different things. The the part on this that that I look at, and right now in the NFL, there are numerous running backs who are out. And I take the side of the running backs because in the offseason, we saw it with Jonathan Taylor, et cetera. You know, as a running back, their life span in the NFL is very small. They really don't have a whole lot of opportunity to make a lot of money like any of every other position, left tackles, quarterbacks, receivers, et cetera. So the fact that, you know, teams are not willing to pay them. We saw Josh Jacobs hold out. I feel for the running backs because I think it was an anonymous GM or assistant GM, some front office guy who said, look, we're going to draft a really good running back. We're going to let it run out the career, the first contract. We're going to let him go five years. In year three, we're going to go find a replacement running back and we're never going to resign him. So he's never going to get the big payday, but they're going to run him into the ground 200, 300 carries a game because he's worth it, but they know that, After five, six years of this, he's not going to be worth paying anything. And we're seeing that. So when you see the running backs get hurt, you know, it's a shame because there, that's the one position you really don't have the chance to get a big payday unless you hold out. The other thing of this injury, and I'm going back to when the NFL pretty much changed the rule that if you tackle high, you're going to get flagged. They are discouraging high hits. And and there was a player, Ed Reed, someone like that, who said, this is going to increase the amount of knee injuries substantially because if I can't go high and the NFL is encouraging me to go low, well, guess what's (laughs) going to happen? And what is the most vulnerable spot on your body is your knee because you see that you can't stop these players roll over on you all of those different things. And when you suffer a serious knee injury, most likely your career's over. And the NFL changed it to encourage going low, not high. We're going to flag you if you go high. So you have to go low. So to me, this is seeing the running backs and all that with all the injuries. To me, the NFL pushed it on themselves by discouraging going high in any way and forcing everyone to go low. This is the end result of it. It sounded good in theory, like many, many things in life we put into place, <laughs> laws, etc. that, you know, on paper, this sounds really good, but they don't take the reality of it and what is really going to happen and what the effects are going to be on people by changing it to that. Because it's not theory that we play on. We play on reality. And this is one of the consequences of their decision.
0: So let's jump to one of the most coveted positions, not just in the NFL, but in all prof- professional sports. We help, if I could just speak, since we are doing a broadcast here. Uh, Jason had an email uh, that leads us into a story you and I were texting about yesterday. There's a slight little addition to it from what you and I were, uh, were, were talking about, Steve. Uh, but he wrote in and says, I'm ignorant to how these uh, contracts work with the NFL So I'm hoping you guys can explain. I have seen multiple stories about the Jets calling Tom Brady to see about replacing Aaron Rodgers this season. Is Brady even eligible to play on a team in the NFL now that he has an ownership stake in one of the franchises? Is that not a conflict of interest? So uh, I sent you this story that when you read it, I thought you seemed to agree. It's a big nothing burger because Brady hadn't publicly commented on the idea of replacing Aaron Rodgers. This was the first thing everybody said when Rodgers goes down in week one. Oh, get Brady. He's still good enough. Bring him back. So he does this po- this podcast uh, that's on, I think it's SiriusXM, uh, and he does it with Jim Gray. And he right away, Jim Gray asked Tom Brady, and Tom Brady's response is, next question you already know. That's the basic end of his quote. But they somehow produced this four-page, if you print it out, story about whether or not Brady's going to come back. But there is this little tidbit to Jason's email question. Yes, you've seen Brady on the sidelines and in the and in the locker room with the Raiders. And everything that's been reported is he's, ha- he's got a stake in the Raiders that started in May. According to CBS Sports, that purchase hasn't been finalized yet. Which means Brady is currently eligible to do whatever he wants, technically because he doesn't have a conflict of interest if they wanted to mutually pull back this investment. Um, All the reports are the Jets, and who knows, they're not telling us the truth. They don't believe in Zach Wilson. That They're not interested in Brady. Brady's acting like he's not interested. We've been through this dance before, but I think you and I are on the same page. He ain't coming back, and can we move on?
1: I don't think he's coming back. I think we need to move on. I did find that part interesting in the article. That was the one thing I got out of the entire <laughs> article. Hey, that's good to know. It hasn't been finalized. He's not officially a part owner of the Raiders. So technically speaking, he can be a free agent to sign with any other team. But one of the big factors that the article doesn't bring up Tom Brady and the Patriots owner Kraft are really close. I know Brady might have a little grudge against Belichick, but man, if you come back and you go play for the Jets, Mm -hmm. I'm just not sure where that relationship really goes. And is that really how you want to be remembered? Because all of those Patriot fans that, you know, you won't, he doesn't have to buy a meal. He doesn't have to buy a drink. He is the King in the new England area. He goes and signs with the Jets just because, oh, well, Aaron Rodgers got hurt, and I wanted to play a little bit longer. I think there's a lot of fans who would have a hard time with it. I don't think it's happening. And the other part in that article, right near the end, which is one of the – you know, I do a good amount of reading in articles, and I always find it fascinating that the actual facts of it, (laughs) they bury in the last paragraph, 37 paragraphs in, and they say that – Oh, the jets have expressed no interest in him, and they've acknowledged that and tom brady has expressed no interest in playing with the jets either and the jets have never reached out to talk to him so you know as we we're texting I mean, this is a nothing burger story i mean the guy's just putting stuff out there to try to get hits and interest and all that other stuff and the facts of it is it's not even something for what we can see as being discussed nor do I think it's gonna come close to
0: happening. And that that paragraph that you just referenced is literally the last paragraph of that of that story. So uh, one of the things I love uh, about uh, reading or watching, uh, whether it's ESPN, USA Today does a good job, Pro Football Talk, the NFL Network. I love the overreactions, these massive overreactions uh, after uh, after each week, especially this early in the season. So I'm gonna do I'm gonna th- th- just throw some at you that were listed. And and what I like is that they're honest. They go, here's our biggest overreactions to week two, but a lot of times they've got merit. So what do you make of some of these? Joe Burrow and the Bengals are going to miss the playoffs for the first time since the quarterback's rookie year. That's your overreaction based on the fact they're 0-2, and we don't even know about Joe Burrow. He limped off the field after the game. Are they that done?
1: Without Joe Burrow, I think they are that done. He's not healthy. He's questionable to play this week. Uh, from the reports that I've read, even if he does play this week or misses this week, it's still going to be several weeks before he's even going to be close to anything healthy. We've seen it in the first two weeks. Joe Burrow, not healthy, mm-hmm. is not a good look. Yes, he he goes out there. He guts through the performance. He does his very best. But it's just not good enough to win. You have to get him to 100% healthy. A- and you're 0-2. If he doesn't play, they go to 0-3. At a certain point, you just kind of say, look, you know, we're going to sit him for four or five weeks, whatever it is, to get him healthy. And, you know, we'll decide at that point, we'll bring him back because he's our franchise. Right. He just signed the long-term contract. You don't want to end his career right now because he can't move around, so he's a lame duck in the pocket. You have to look at the other, you know, six years on that contract and just say, look, it's a lost season, move forward. And so, yeah, I think the Bengals are done because... Uh, this last week on your show, we talked about it, and watching the game, I said at the time, look, I think he's injured. I think we're going to find this out. It came out the next day that, yes, it looks like he is injured and uh, is not going to be healthy, possibly, for the whole season.
0: Next overreaction, I don't want this to be true. The Buccaneers are a surprising 2-0. and They're tied for first place in the NFC South with the surprisingly 2-0 Falcons and Saints. So does that mean Baker Mayfield's Buccaneers are legitimate contenders in the NFC?
1: Baker Mayfield's Buccaneers are legitimate contenders to win their division because their division is very soft. Panthers aren't very good. You know, the Falcons, I think there's some serious trouble there. I think they're in trouble going into Detroit this week. I like the Lions in this spot. The Saints, really strong defense. We see it. They're sitting at 2-0, but their offense hasn't done a whole lot. So they can be a contender in their division as far as a contender in the NFC. And I'm not saying making the playoffs, but a team that has a shot to go to the NFC championship game, I I don't give them that chance in
0: any way. You're going to see a lot more from them. Next overreaction, Denver. Woof. They had a 21-3 lead on Washington with two minutes left in the first half Sunday. They lost 35-33. They're 0-2. Sean Payton said some questionable things, the head coach, after the game that leads people to believe this this marriage with Russell Wilson is not coming together. So the big overreaction is the Broncos will move on from Russell Wilson and have a different starting quarterback in 2024. Payton will say, look, see, you gave me damaged goods and we're going to start over. What do you think?
1: I think it just depends on how South that relationship goes. I, I think Sean Payton has some serious frustration. We see it. Russell Wilson is not adjusting his adjustments in the line. Just are not what Sean Payton would like to see. It's not producing results at all. We've seen them come out in the first quarter of both their games play really well. Well, guess what? Pretty much every team scripts their first 20 plays. <laughs> Sean Payton's giving them, Hey, look, this is what we're going to do. And we put him in a position to score. As the game goes on, and especially in the second half, when you're making these adjustments and you have to start reading the defenses better, Russell Wilson isn't producing. So, but Sean Payton's going to be a coach like every coach. Look, I can fix him. I can fix him because every coach thinks that's the case. We see it time and time with quarterbacks. If he can fix it and get on the same page with Russell Wilson, then I don't see Wilson going anywhere because they're paying him way too much money. It's guaranteed money. Mm-hmm. You can't just throw that away. But if their relationship really sours to where they're not really talking to each other anymore because it just it's that bad type of thing, which we'll never fully know because that kind of stuff doesn't come out. But if it gets to that point, the owner is going to have to make a decision. Do we want Sean Payton as our coach and let Russell Wilson go and I have to, you know, eat all of that guaranteed money, or am I going to, yeah, maybe Sean Payton's not the head coach for us, even though we thought he he could help straighten out Russell Wilson. Let's go find another guy because I'm paying a lot less money guaranteed than I am Russell Wilson. And let's go find somebody who can work with Russell Wilson. But I think that part is going to be a lot more difficult because I'm not convinced that Russell Wilson with how his body has deteriorated and his ability it's not like it was five years ago. I think Pete Carroll saw this and was very smart. He got ripped yep. for knowing, look, Russell's not worth the money. Let's move him. Now we can get a couple more years, but let's move him Now we can get the pieces before it starts becoming obvious to everyone. I think Pete Carroll did a great job in moving that asset and, the Broncos are stuck with it,
0: and I think that's the wrinkle to this. We go back to some of the examples you gave earlier. Uh, it, it's similar, but but different, like like to the Deshaun Watson and the Kyler Murray thing, because yes, Russell Wilson, what his guaranteed is like two hundred million ish, give or take, and and he's not in the prime of his career anymore. He is not a spring chicken, and, and I don't know who's gonna want to pick up that contract.
1: It, to me, the only trade, and and I've said this for like a year now, and, and I don't think it'll happen, but. I don't think either team has a a whole lot of other choice and why not trade Kyler Murray for Russell Wilson, both bad contracts, <laughs> go find out if their coaches can turn them around in any way. And if you can, great, you salvage something. If you can't, well, we were going to beat the money anyway, because it's a horrible guaranteed. Give it a shot here. Here you go. Both players get new starts. Maybe they'll be rejuvenated like Rogers was going to the jets but you're not really out anything from either team's standpoint other than the money you already owed.
0: That is, that's a, that's a, that's a, an, a very intelligent, goofy idea. The only, I think the wrinkle in it, that one is the Cardinals don't want to win. So maybe it's a better idea to do Deshaun Watson for, uh, for uh, um, uh, Russell Wilson.
1: Right. Find the shortest <laughs> amount of guaranteed money in this and go that route. But You know, sometimes you just got to look at it going, look, if I got a bad player that I don't want on my team anymore and you got a bad player that you don't want on your team anymore, they're similar in money. Hey, let's go. Let's just trade them out. And that's one of the things that it'll never happen. But if I'm the owners of both teams and I'm going to, you know, have to swallow all of that guaranteed money give me a plan B and let me try Russell Wilson or Kyler Murray. See if I can make it work. And then at that point, cut bait, let them go.
0: All right. got to do power rankings after every week. We're done with uh, two whole weeks in the NFL. Uh, and so everybody, everybody scrambles, including us to figure out, all right, who's the best team in the NFL. And, and I, I heard some debates and read some debates about, Well, wait a minute. In the NFC, the the Cowboys outscored their first two opponents, something like 70 to 10. Ridiculous. But everybody always fell to believing and saying the number one team right now, based on what we know in the NFL, is the San Francisco 49ers. I'm jaded and biased towards that, Steve, um, and I can make a great case for it. Do you have any argument with that or, or any qualms about putting the Niners at number one right now?
1: I have no hesitation in putting the 49ers at number one. I think they are the best team in football. They play the Cowboys week six, I think it is. Sunday night. And in San Francisco, I I can't wait to see that. That will be a statement game. And I will tell you, even if the 49ers were to lose that game, that would not be a bad thing because one, they get the loss on their record. So we're no longer talking undefeated. And tell me that wouldn't be a big revenge game come the next time they meet them in the playoffs. If they do meet in the playoffs That Hey, look, we lost to them. We're going to show them. We really are the, best. so even a loss in my mind, doesn't change it. If the 49ers stay healthy and they keep their players healthy, that's the key. I think the 49ers have a better roster. Uh,
0: by the way, as a Niner fan, it's just even though your scenario ends with this wonderful revenge win, it's really impossible to give a win to the Cowboys. It's just not, it's just <laughs> not palatable. But um, that is going to be a great early season game. And then if the, most of the rest of the top five, people seem to agree in no particular order, Chiefs, Eagles, Cowboys, and Dolphins kind of round out most people's top fives. I know uh, the NFL Network has the Bills at six. ESPN had them at fifth. Um the Ravens, the Lions, your Lions, uh, and uh, the Saints still in the top 10. I'm not sure about the Saints uh, sticking in the top 10. Any any qualms with any of those?
1: I'm not sold that the Saints really are a top yeah, 10 team. I'm not really going to give that to you. You know, uh, the Cowboys, the Eagles, the 49ers, the Chiefs, and, and –
0: I mean, that's the big five. I,
1: I'm i right? I'm still not convinced the Dolphins are better than the Bills. You could talk me into it. And I got a lot of, you know, yards per play offensively for the Dolphins. They're off the charts. I believe they're leading the NFL in yards per play. But their defense has also been, you know, somewhat suspect. They've given up 51 points in two games already. The Bills, God, they, they did get a running game last week back went for 120 yards or so. It was the Raiders. I just, the bills are so disappointing because you see this glaring weakness. Get a running back. He doesn't have to be a star, but you have to get a good run. You know, why didn't you give up a third round pick for DeAndre Swift from the Lions? They traded him to the Eagles for a fourth. You know, you could have traded your fourth and it would have been a couple picks ahead of the Eagles and gotten a DeAndre Swift. They don't even do anything like that. It's just disappointing because Josh Allen, when he really tries to force the issues, is not very good at those decision making. And that's my hesitation. But talent wise, I still think the Bills might have a more talented roster than the Dolphins.
0: Yeah, I, I agree almost with all of that. I do. It, it, the Josh Allen thing is the big mystery. And, and, He's so careless with the ball and some of his decisions, and you can't pronounce him healthy after a big win over the Raiders. We need to, we need to see a larger sample size here.
1: Correct. It, it, it was a nice win, but you know, don't make these red zone turnover interceptions like you did. Quit forcing. You are really talented, but you know, don't take the low percentage throws that he tends to make.
0: We've uh, we've we've uh, spent a lot of time. Uh, the last many days about 0 and two teams because you, you start 0 and two you got an 11 percent chance of getting to the playoffs but there's some surprising 2 and 0 teams some that aren't I mean the the Cowboys uh, the Eagles the Niners okay they're all 2 and 0 the Ravens they could have been one and one if Burrow was healthy but okay the Dolphins are 2 and 0 but the Commanders are undefeated as are the aforementioned Saints who we clearly don't believe in Falcons and and Buccaneers any of those. Stand out, or they're we're going to settle in here. Two
1: of them, the commanders and the Buccaneers, were going into the season probably viewed as two of the bottom five teams in the NFL, and they're both sitting at two and oh. You know, both of their odds were like 150 to one or higher to win the Super Bowl. Commanders have played well, uh, they really have. I'm not sold that they're a really good team and are even going to finish higher than third in their division. I I would be very shocked if they didn't finish third or fourth. The Giants still might be a little bit better, and I don't think the Giants are that good either. Tampa Bay does have the advantage, though. They're playing in a weak division. We we see the Saints can't score right now. The Falcons, nobody's sold on them, and the Panthers are awful. Bryce Young's questionable to even play this week, uh, the starting quarterback for Carolina. So the Buccaneers, that division's winnable. Just be good enough. They got a really good defense, but it's Baker Mayfield. Here's another guy that I give him credit, and I can't knock him because he's playing in the NFL. But to me, he has the talent of a backup quarterback. He's really not a starter in the NFL. I think he's a capable backup, and it's tough to win in the NFL if you have that. You know, borderline player. You're one of the worst quarterbacks of the starters, but you're one of the better backups as your starting quarterback. You you can't win with a quarterback that's in the 25 through 32 ranking of best quarterbacks in the league.
0: So we haven't ragged on him this entire show, so it gives me a chance to ask you if you if you had to pick one, you want Baker May- Mayfield or Kirk Cousins as your quarterback?
1: Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins has talent. We see it. He puts up numbers. He just, in clutch situations, he just, and it's not his fault. I think it's just his nature. He doesn't, the game speeds up in big time. You know, you see the Michael Jordans, Derek Cheaters, and I swear the game goes into slow motion because they are man amongst boys in those situations. I will tell you me and my, my sports career, it speeds up. Yeah. You know, we all like to say, Hey, look, I was a great player. I could do this. I'll be honest with you. When I played high school baseball, if it was like the, you know, clutch situation, here it is. Walk me. Let me get on base. I don't want to hit a ground ball to shortstop. just, you know, find a way to get on base. The The winners, the, the people who succeed, it's that, look, I'm looking for this pitch. I'm going to drive it into the gap. I'm going to put it off the wall. I knew I wasn't that good. I, I just don't let me be the out. Come on, <laughs> put me on base or whatever. And, and, and it's in every, you know, every sport I played, it's sped up. And, and that's just things. And I know you get into preparation and all that other stuff, But for Kirk Cousins, I think it speeds up. Uh, Tony Romo had the same thing. Great quarterback, great NFL career. Tony Romo couldn't win in the playoffs, couldn't win in the big clutch games. And to me, it just, it sped up for him in those things. And they would make that, oh man, I wish I had that back. Looking at film later, oh, what was I thinking? But your true superstars, they know what's happening. Uh, and they make uh, the plays. Yeah,
0: exactly. All right, let's let's look ahead to uh, to week three because it starts uh, tomorrow. Uh, the Niners were at home; it's their home opener. Giants did not look good in their opening game for sure against the Cowboys. Uh, I don't see where the Giants have a chance, but you tell me. And what's the spread on this game?
1: The Forty ers are ten point favorite. It opened ten and a half. Jeez. Saquon Barkley may not play in this game. So the giants don't have Barkley playing. I just don't see how the 49ers don't win this game big other than it's the NFL. And you know what, we got to keep it competitive. So they might win by nine, just to mess with me. If you were to lay 10 and, and, you know, I don't like to lay double digits, you know, for teams in the NFL, I, I would rather take the points, but I just don't see a whole lot of bright light coming out of the Giants.
0: You uh, you mentioned earlier, I think you said, that that you like the Lions this weekend, and we mentioned the Falcons are undefeated, um, but they're the Falcons, and to me, it, the Lions losing at home to the Falcons would be kind of devastating.
1: It would be really devastating to the fan base, the coaching staff. I, I mean, the entire, all the hype they've had into the Kansas city. Here it is. We're one of the top team. And and I still believe talent wise, they're probably a top five team in the NFC. I I really do. And and as skeptical as I can be, because I've been a fan, and been heartbroken for so long. The lions are a much more talented team than the Falcons. The, The lions should win this game by double digits. If they find a way to lose this game, Man, I'm right back into the dumpster. This (laughs) is—I will be as. This could even put me lower than I've ever been before because I had the expectations. I believe in the team, and I'm expecting some good things. I'm braced for the, you know, the fallback. But if they go and lose at home against the Falcons, to me, it's over.
0: So you mentioned earlier that that you the the Commanders stick out to you do they stick out so much that they can beat the bills at home this weekend?
1: I don't think they can. They they can. If Josh Allen does what he did against the jets and just four interceptions, instead of playing smart football, we're up by 10, you know, control the game. Don't do anything stupid. Allow our defense to win. Same thing. Bills have a top five defense, Sometimes you gotta look, we don't have everything. Let's rely on our defense. And that's one of the things the 49ers do so well is they know look, there are times we just don't want to make the mistake. Let the other team make the mistake, let our defense capitalize on it and win the game. It may not be pretty, but at the end, it's win the game. And the Bills win this game unless Josh Allen just, you know, if they have four turnovers again, the commanders can win it. But if you tell me the Bills have one turnover or less, and I'll even give you a pick six, you know, on the Bills. But if they have one turnover or less, I have a hard time seeing the Commanders win this game.
0: And I, I, I don't, I, I, haven't landed yet, but I, but I do wobble on this one because I do, I, I'm so not sold on Josh Allen this year in particular, and the Commanders. I'm not sold on them either. I don't think I'm as sold as you are, but they're at home and they are kind of riding this thing. What's the spread in this game? Did you say?
1: Uh, the Bills are a six and a half point favorite on the road.
0: Ooh, ooh, see, I I might at least take the, the take the Commanders for the for the spread. I but I don't.
1: Know. Hey, I think you should take the Commanders to win outright. <laughs> and I might hand Steve, me one of those wins back. I
0: I just might actually. <laughs> um, the Saints, they're two and zero. Nobody believes in their offense. They've got a decent defense. The Packers are at home. To me, this is the game where the Packers show they're the better team this year and that they do have a future with uh, with Jordan Love, or is that too much?
1: I think if you're a Packers fan, that's what you got to be hoping here. It, Jordan Love's time with the Packers is he has to show them and show them quickly if he's going to remain that franchise quarterback with the Packers. This is a, a good spot here, going up a really good defense. So he's going to have to play smart football, you know, get the ball out of his hands quickly use the running game but Aaron Jones has been hurt so I haven't checked on the status on that if Aaron Jones is going to be playing they still have AJ Dillon so they still have a strong rushing attack there uh you know one of the things with the Packers I found interesting is they never give Rodgers the support they never go draft tight ends wide receivers or anything Rodgers goes away and I think they got three rookie (laughs) wide receivers on the roster and one rookie tight end Uh. so it's like hey yeah Thanks a lot, Green Bay. When I was there, you wouldn't get anything, and I go away and you. Hey, we have this need. We need to go get these guys. I, this is a fascinating game to me because the winner, I'm going to chalk up to. Look, they are a legitimate contender for a playoff spot in the NFC. The loser is going to be. Yeah, this is kind of what we were expecting. And
0: well, that takes us to our other game, which is really going to, I think, decide a season that that has already faded quickly for two teams. Uh, both the chargers in Minnesota are owned 2, and they face each other in Minnesota this weekend. Neither one of them can lose a third game and be legitimately contending, right?
1: They cannot Vikings lose. I would, if I could tell at halftime and I'm the Vikings general manager that we're losing, I'm on the phone to the general manager with the jets. Hey, look, here you go. Give me a fifth round draft pick. Kirk cousins is yours because at this point, I don't want to win any more games. I want to fall into that raffle for who can, you know, who, who's going to get Caleb Williams or one of these top quarterbacks that are in the draft. And it's a good draft for quarterbacks. So I would want to, if we're going to lose this game or they go, zero and three at that point, I don't want Kirk cousins there because I don't want him to play well enough to win any games for us. I want to move on, but I can't make it obvious and just bench him. So to me, let's trade into a quarterback needy team that feels they got a shot at making the playoffs. I get anything back. I'm happy because this allows me to easier lose some games down the road. The chargers, I think their head coach is gone oh for the most part and they won't do it because nothing's really gained by firing a head coach during the season. Unless there's an assistant coach you really like, and you want to see what they can do. But if you don't have that top assistant coach that you want to see what they can do with this team, you got to ride it out, but you know I've never been convinced that Staley's a good head coach. We've watched the Chargers put up numbers; they're zero and two. They haven't turned the ball over. They're averaging like you know they scored fifty plus points. I mean, they're like the only team in NFL history to be zero and two when they've won the turnovers, haven't turned it over, put up so many yards, you know, scored so many points. It. it there's something wrong there and and it's the chargers we've always known because they always find ways to lose games they shouldn't lose
0: you're right there at ground zero you've been calling the raiders a train wreck all season they're at home I, I think at this point nbc is thinking why can't we flex games earlier it's a sunday night game uh the steelers are coming to town uh, uh what do you make of this one
1: yeah I, i'm I'm looking at the Steelers and I'd be interested in them at plus three right now. The Raiders are a two and a half point favorite in this game. Kenny Pickett hasn't looked good for the Steelers. The Steelers got to win, but thank you to some turnovers by the Browns, yeah. you know, that pretty much gifted them that game. And, and I'm not arguing because I'm not a big fan of the Cleveland Browns and Deshaun Watson, but the Steelers offense really hasn't done a whole lot. It's a winnable game for the Raiders, but, you know, are they going to step up? They're going to get it done. The, The one bright spot. I, I, I am a big fan of Jimmy G. I have been with the 49ers because he finds ways to win. I don't think he's a great talented quarterback, but he has that chemistry about him. He has that winning way and it shows he just has to stay healthy. So I'm torn on it. I want the three, and then I could say the Steelers, <laughs> no, I got a good line, and let's sit back because I think the game's a pick'em game.
0: We got a couple of emails to finish up with, so just one more game, Steve. We were talking about Baker Mayfield's undefeated Buccaneers. There's two Monday night games again this week, and then we get back to normal. Buccaneers at home. I doubt the Philadelphia Eagles are overly concerned about the Bucs being undefeated, but do we have a potential game here?
1: I wouldn't think so in any way because – the Eagles are a far, far better team. Um, you know, they're playing on a Monday night. They do have Washington next week at home. So you can't be, this is a look ahead game. Oh no. Yeah. They're going to be on the short week, but it's the commanders. Although the commanders win and beat Buffalo, this will be a really good game. Cause now you're looking at both teams, yep. you know, sitting there and the commanders, if they win at home against the bills. And I know you, kind of leaning towards the commanders, but that would say they're a little bit better than people are thinking out there. And then after that, the Eagles have are at the Rams, So it's not like there's anything on the horizon. The Eagles are not going to take them lightly and overlook them because they're preparing for the following week. So I, I don't think the Buccaneers can win there and Baker Mayfield against that defense, I think is really going to struggle.
0: Um, all right, we got this email while we were talking about uh, the 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 possibility of Russell Wilson and the Broncos, a, a trade, what happens to him. Uh, Matthew wrote in and said, if the Broncos keep losing games and Zach Wilson is not the answer for the Jets, is there any scenario where Russell Wilson could be traded to the Jets?
1: Oh, that would be a gift for the Broncos because <laughs> I think the Jets would give up some assets there. I think the Jets would absolutely roll the dice to go get Russell Wilson and take a shot at him. Uh, you know, the the big part there is you have to have a good understanding is Aaron Rodgers coming back, or is he going to retire and go away after this? Because you don't want to make the trade for Russell Wilson, and then Aaron Rodgers decides he's still going to play because it's going to be Aaron Rodgers' team. And now what do you do with that contract for Russell Wilson? But if you knew Russell, uh, Aaron Rodgers wasn't coming back, it's a shot. I, I think you'd have to look at it. Again, it falls into how does the money lay? What do we have open for salary cap? A lot of those factors, you know, and I, I'm not negotiating any of these contracts. And I would be shocked if the Jets could get that money under the cap. But there's such things as hey, look, we'll give Denver our 2024 second round pick and we'll throw them our 2025 first round pick and you pick up the money for Russell Wilson for the next year or whatever so you can fit under the cap and then figure it out from there. So there's always different ways you can work around that cap, but then you're really mortgaging your future. If Rogers retires, Russell Wilson isn't the answer, and he is the quarterback we've seen for the last, what are we talking now, 18 games, he's really this bad, then you've just – buried your franchise that would be a,
0: a real jets move by the way um all right the other one we got from mike and he, i like he wrote this under the context of what we we're talking about with the idea of Dion winding up in the nfl with his son playing quarterback so he kind of came up with what he admits are three um out there scenarios but they really aren't and not so much that this is where Dion and Shadur would wind up but he said th- he th- he said how about this one the Los Angeles Rams, McVay could be out if the Rams miss both this year and next, especially with an aging and expensive Stafford. So he jumps all the way to like maybe another year. But I mean, if the Rams, which they they don't look terrible yet, I don't. I mean, McVay just won a Super Bowl, but he it's a short cutting life in the in the NFL. Could McVay be uh, uh, under concern if the Rams don't turn this around this year?
1: I, I don't think so. I I think Sean McVay is one of the more talented coaches in the NFL. Uh, We've seen him adjust to his roster style, not try to force his style and will on his players to conform with him. So I just don't see the Rams getting to that point. If they don't have the talent, I think they would move on with the GM before they'd move on from McVay. Unless McVay doesn't have the desire and doesn't want to do the work anymore to rebuild that. But he's so young. I have a hard time believing he's not willing to look. We tear it all down, and I want to build it back up and be a winner again because now I can show that I can over, you know, overcome the veterans that I had before, and maybe some people credited the veterans as why we won, and now I can show that. Look, we can strip it down to nothing and rebuild it and win. If he has that desire, my, my only concern with McVeigh is after he won the Super Bowl, yeah. he was talking stepping away from the game. That's my only hesitation. Is if he has those thoughts, and I can see him going away, but if he wants to coach, continue going, he's young enough, he is bright enough, and I think he is talented enough. If I'm the Rams, I'm not letting him go.
0: And, and again, Mike Mike wrote this email into the guise of the, the idea that Dion will convince Shadur to stay at Colorado for a second season and they'll show together, you know, Shadur wins the Heisman and then they get... So it can either be a one-year or a two-year plan. Uh, this could be more likely, I think, a one-year idea. He writes about the Raiders. He says, McDaniels isn't cutting it. I think the Raiders win just enough this year, maybe to keep him from getting fired, but I'm not sure that even that's true. I, it, I'm not sure McDaniels isn't on thin ice this season. Uh, <laughs> something going on there. I would
1: love 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 Dion would fit in las vegas big time if you brought Dion here you would elevate to the raiders to where i believe like these free agents would really want to sign with the raiders he brings in his kid and if his kid's as good as he looks he will turn this franchise around if i'm a raiders fan and and you know i'm so disappointed with the lions and you know, I've joked about it and said it over the last five years. You know, if I could find another team to root for and abandon the Lions, I would. I haven't been able to. Dion comes to the Raiders and brings his kid. Man, that might just be the the nudge I need to, to switch over and then make the Raiders like my strong number two because I'm a Red Wings fan in hockey, but I really root for the, the Golden Knights. I, I'm a huge Golden Knights fan. Love watching all of their games. That that would make it like Lions 1 and maybe Raiders <laughs> 1A if they were to get Dion and his son.
0: What And what a perfect landing spot for Dion's personality and everything else. Um, and then the other one Mike mentioned, and this is a good question, is the Dallas Cowboys. What if for the third year in a row McCarthy can't get past the Niners, if it even winds up being the NFC championship again? I mean, Jerry Jones is not the most patient guy. How long does he stick with with McCarthy? Not that he maybe he would or wouldn't look at Dion, but just McCarthy. If the Ra- if the Cowboys don't get to the Super Bowl, which is gonna be tough if they have to go through this 49ers team, does Jerry Jones still stay patient?
1: Whoever is the head coach with the Jerry for Jerry Jones has to be a yes man. Jerry Jones calls all of the shots. We've seen it with Jimmy Jonathan. If Jimmy Johnson had stayed with the Cowboys, we'd be talking about the greatest franchise. Like in history, we'd be talking about a team that had, who knows, nine Super Bowl championships. But the egos, th- that's the problem. And I know Dion played for the Cowboys. But is Jerry oh. Jones going to allow the Cowboys to become Dion's team? Not going to happen. No. And is Dion really going to, if, he goes there, be able to step down and tone it down. And I'm prime time, but it's really Jerry's team. I don't see that happening either. No. And where that would make a good story. I just don't see that fitting together at all.
0: What about McCarthy though? Do you think he has a shelf life if he can't get past the Cowboys this year, or the Niners this year?
1: You know, Jason Garrett lasted longer than I thought yeah. he should have by several years there too. Who are you going to get that's willing to take the job and be the yes man take the all the blame when you lose and get none of the credit when you win you, you know and that's the thing with quarterbacks when teams win the quarterback gets all the credit well jerry jones wants all the credit when they win it's not going to be the head coach i know it's one of 32 positions it's one of the greatest c- jobs you can ever have and being a head coach of the cowboys could be one of the three greatest jobs you can ever have in your lifetime But if it's really not you calling the shots and not getting the credit, you're only getting the blame and you have to do exactly what Jerry Jones says, is that a job you're going to go out and get? Because if it doesn't work out, you're still going to be unemployed. And chances are, you're not going to get another head coaching job.
0: All right, Steve, that does it for episode three of mixed picks on rad TV. You can watch us live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Or anytime afterwards, you can watch or listen at members.radradio.com. Every mixed picks on rad TV podcast is available across all podcasting platforms weekly on Thursday. And if you want to hear Steve even more, he joins us every Monday and Friday during football season on radradio.com. And you can be part of our pigskin picks uh, at radradio.com. And uh, I'm sure Friday we'll be getting more into this Bills-Commanders game, see where we fall on our picks. We'll talk to you on, uh, on Friday, Steve. Enjoy the Niners game tomorrow. I'm sure I'll be texting you, and I'll see you next week.
1: Thank you. Have a wonderful week.